beautiful human. Thank you so much for letting us into your ears today with S.G. Lewis. We have a lot to discuss, including his brand new album, Times. Also, he's written songs for a bunch of people, including Dua Lipa. So I want stories. Uh, Before we get into it, I got to ask you to share this podcast with those you care about and let us know who we should have on the show next at Zach Sang on any form of social media. Here we go. Hello, beautiful human. I'm Zach. This is Dan. Yo. And uh, this is Sam. But uh, really, you go by S.G. Lewis. Is that initials or is that just totally from scratch? Um, literally, it's just my initials. Um, I kind of, long story short, um, I got told by someone pretty early on in my career that like Sam Lewis was a pretty kind of <laughs> underwhelming name. Um, I was kind of doing some remixes for like uh, this label at the time. And um, I was doing a bit of ghost production, actually. And then like, they were like, hey, we're going to put your name on one of these things. What do you want your name to be? And I was like, um, my name, Sam Lewis. And they were like, yeah, yeah, that's not going to cut it. So then they were like, how about what's your middle name? I was like, George. And they were like, how's SG Lewis? And I was like, yeah, great, fine, let's go for it. And then it's kind of stuck, I guess. <laughs> it has a real suave flow to it. But uh, there's a couple things in there that I want to unpack. Um, but we do have an album to talk about. It's called Times. It's a debut album. Uh, you mentioned ghost producing. Just like uh, really early on, it was just kind of some bits and bobs that like I would do that would kind of go uncredited. I mean, like, I'm literally like 17 at this point, so I didn't even know what I was doing. I was kind of just like sort of uh, doing little bits that would like appear in other places. But it's so long ago now, I wouldn't even be able to point to things and be like, that was me. And there was nothing particularly successful. So <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it. What, what does that entail? Does somebody come to you and just go like, like, can you? do you do something to this like are they at a creative roadblock do like what do you give them that um, they need and that they, when they give it to the public they don't want anyone to know you're a part of it so it tends to come from a label or like a, a team rather than from like a producer themselves usually i think um and then it's usually like a marketing exercise you know it's like if an artist or someone assigned can't sort of like make something happen then i guess they're trying to sort of um just fill in the blanks in in the music or whatever and then you know at the time my profile or whatever was going on in my life wasn't really um valuable to whatever was going on so yeah you just kind of I don't know when you're starting out you just kind of do things because you're just excited to be involved in the conversation you know but um yeah I think looking back I'd kind of not sure I'd do it again necessarily. You originally get signed correct me if I'm wrong due to remixes right like that was the first public gift that like people yeah. were able to tap into of yours so this is yeah that's quite some years later actually then sort of when i sort of stumbled across his name and was doing a little bit of ghost production and stuff um i was putting stuff out online and i started getting some remixes uploaded to like uh youtube blogs like majestic casual the sound you need and kind of these blogs would basically uh catapult the music kind of springboard it to an audience of people that like were looking for that style of music i guess and then um, that caught the attention of um, PMR Records, and they invited me to remix uh, one of Jesse Ware's singles. Um, and basically, they liked the remix, and then we sort of like sat down and talked about music, and I played them a couple records, and then yeah. Are you writing songs of your own at this point, or are you solely producing and doing remixes? I'm writing songs. Um, they're really basic at this point, but I, I'd already kind of. Um, I already met someone called Sophie Cook. Her artist's name is Francis. And um, we went to university together. So I was basically just like going into rooms of her and 
we were writing top lines on on top of these kind of beats and stuff and then it was a very early songwriting and fairly like i was fairly inexperienced with songwriting you know i'd sort of like fiddled around with like in bands and stuff but it's not like i'd really kind of like been a songwriter up to this point but then um but then we would kind of so with sophie's help she's an amazing songwriter and i think she sort of was songwriting from a, an early age we would kind of top line these beats so then i had a bunch of kind of original songs to play them but i didn't really know what they were what they were like I, they were just such a they were just songs that we'd made there was no kind of like artistic vision at this point so even to get signed at the point that i did i was kind of like you know fish out of water slightly <laughs> like i didn't really know what i was doing at the time but um but yeah and i kind of figured it out almost backwards i was just kind of like well i better sort of figure out how to do this now i think was it hard to convince the people who signed you that you had more to give than just remixes and production like that you could be a songwriter they just seemed to see something in me that maybe i didn't see in myself at the time you know i think that like um they ben and dan the guys that run the label seem to have like a really great just ear for for music and for things that are going to kind of do well like you know they were um on the disclosure stuff from really early they were on like Jai Paul from really early Jesse Ware and um for some reason they sort of saw some kind of potential in me that I guess I hadn't even seen at the time so yeah it was um I guess in, in some way I always had like I knew that I wanted to grow into that but it was just like it was just so early in my musical career that I kind of um there was just a lot of a lot of learning to do after I signed you know what comes the easiest because we have a bunch of your records to talk about we have a couple records that you've been on that belong to other people there's a Dua Lipa record that stands out I I mean like I I just I want to know stories here so the Dua Lipa record we'll start there for for instance because that comes at a time where you are doing your own stuff so Mm -hmm. are you balancing creating for others while creating for yourself yeah so it's kind of like um because the funny thing about the Dua Lipa record, Hallucinate, is um, it was with Sophie again, the the um, my friend that I just spoke about, and wow. my friend that I've been writing with for you know since university. So like we still to this day, you know, I was with her on Monday, and we're kind of. But as soon as I make something, I, I almost immediately know whether it's for for me or not, you know. And there's kind of even though the process can be largely similar a lot of the time, by the time you get to the end of the the writing process, I'm just, there's, I'm fairly certain of whether something is for me or if it's for someone else. So did you know right away that this record, what, what was it about who hallucinate that was like, this isn't my story. This is not for me. I think that, um, you know, as I've, as I've grown as a songwriter for my own stuff and I've enjoyed kind of like placing myself in, the, you know the narrative as as a singer and stuff as well I think that there was such a clear narrative with the album that I was making and there was you know a very clear influence and from 70s New York and the birth of disco and this kind of um sort of pursuit of euphoria and yeah. it just conceptually as a song it didn't feel like in the world and it didn't fit kind of um conceptually with everything else that was on the record and then sonically i just felt like it was um it just felt just felt like it was gonna better serve someone else and you know when it when Dua heard it it was just all of a sudden it just made perfect sense that like you know that that song should be for her and that you couldn't really go to a better home than for her but um 
but and then she obviously she added a lot to the record and, and wrote on the record as well and like changed bits and stuff so it, beca it really became her record um but in the studio with her but yeah it was really as soon as we had hallucinate it was like we finished the day and i was just like oh i love this but like no it's just it it's not for me you know wow wow and do you think if that song was to stay with you i mean you never know right like you have to like your child has an amazing home and you're just like on the outside looking in and i guess you collect checks uh, uh, but like, it, it's, it's a very interesting relationship that you see your story, but, but is it your story? So really hallucinate, you know, it's, it's mean, it, it's such a, it's a very fun song, you know? And I think that if I find it very hard to give away a song, if it was something really deeply personal, if it was kind of an autobiographical song, but there's many songs where you are just you're evoking a feeling and you're putting yourself in the shoes of of many people, you know. And I think that with hallucinate, hallucinate was more about a feeling and kind of like a a, a dance floor urgency rather than like something that was really kind of personal to me. So then, um, so then there's there's never any regret because that like I said, because I'm always like certain about whether that is, this, whether it's a song for me or not, then there's never once that I look at it and go, oh, like now it's doing really well on radio. Like I wish I kept it for myself because it just, it was never a song that was going to be for me. And and it's weird. I've never actually thought about that. Now that you mention it, it's, it's kind of strange because I, I've literally never had the thought like, oh, I wish I kept Hallucinate because it just, it was always kind of meant to be for someone else that's somewhere in my, in my head you know which kind of gives like it gives me chills but at the same time you have <laughs> a lot of other quality records that could uh definitely uh, suffice i want to ask a question <laughs> about hallucinate real quick how much of the song is done like when it gets to her what does it sound like um so there was there's no bridge and there's like you know pre slightly different and there's things that sort of do it adds in terms of the way she sings and the nuances and tiny lyric changes but Hallucinate was a strange one in that um, it was me and Sophie went into a room um, at Metropolis Studios and there was a bunch of sessions going on there that um, were being hosted as part of this kind of camp, but it was just me and Sophie working together. And it was one of like two things we did on the day and we got to lunchtime and we sort of, it was very much kind of fully formed in terms of like verse, pre-chorus and production, like the bass lines there or the drums are there, like the chords are there. And um by lunchtime it was kind of fully there and the crazy thing is like we we weren't even like oh my god we've just written this song that's gonna like you know go on to do like like 150 million streams or whatever it was just like we were like oh that's a cool song should we get some lunch and then we came back after lunch and it was like oh let's try something else and that day I actually I made the beat from Feed the Fire but we just like we didn't end up top lining the beat I just kind of like worked on it by myself and then Sophie had to go somewhere but it was only once I went home that I then kind of just cleaned up the parts and just like rejigged some of the like where the chords are in and stuff that all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, like this is, this is pretty good. Hey there, beautiful human. I got to hit pause real quick to welcome a new sponsor to the show, IPVanish VPN. If you care about the security of your online activity, IPVanish VPN is a quick and easy way to start protecting yourself. It's rated 4.7 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot. IPVanish provides an encrypted connection for all of your internet traffic, helping to prevent websites, Wi-Fi providers, and even hackers from intercepting your data. 
Help keep your financial details, personal information, and online activity safe from threats with IP Vanish. You can get started with this limited time offer and save 50% off monthly and annual subscriptions. Just visit ipvanish.com slash Zach Sang. Happy surfing. Nile Rogers, you get him on record, which is a huge freaking deal. How finish? Yeah. Same question with do it. How finish is the song before you feel confident to give it to somebody like him, who is? I mean, like, I mean, you have a couple icons on on your debut album. Like, Robin is the biggest deal. We'll get to that in a second. But like, how like how far along is the song before you feel confident to share it, or do you create with somebody from the very beginning? So it, it varies completely all the time so um so for instance with, with Nile Rogers the, the song was fully formed but then once Nile got on the record it, it then changed another like I must have done like 200 versions of one more because I, I lived with it for so long and it one more was a, a, a record that kind of started a train of thought towards what would become the album it was like it was the first record that I wrote off of times that existed and and it was the first time i mean i'd I'd sang on records before but it it just felt a bit different it felt more direct in terms of me using my vocal and kind of being like front and center of things as opposed to like just being more on a production side and using my vocal and kind of more like a floaty instrument way and so to answer your question like i i was really like i was bricking it the idea of like sending it to nile but um but I was so in love with what we'd written. There was so much energy in the song that I was just like, there's no way he's not going to like feel this, like surely. But, you know, the, the voice in your head is telling you like, stop what you're doing right now. Do not send this song to Nile Rogers. He's going to like, he's going to tear you apart and tell you that you're like, but of course, like, Nile's like, he's incredible. He appreciates a lot of different music and he's like a huge kind of champion of new music. So almost immediately he came back and was like, let's do this like you know and and we went down to abbey road studios and then i got to kind of the song was fully formed but then he sort of he had some ideas for production and like where should things should go he was like oh you know i should put the chorus at the front and things like that and um so he's full of all these good ideas but really the bulk of that session was me sat on a sofa getting to watch nara rogers like play guitar on the record because i'd my bit was already done like i'd sang the song it was recorded and like the production was kind of in like a rough space so I was just sat there kind of watching him with my jaw on the floor, which was like incredible. And, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, but it does vary all the time. You know, there's a lot of records that kind of do just come sort of almost out of thin air and you start the day with nothing and, and you end the day with a fully formed thing. But, um, but I think it's the variation that kind of keeps it interesting to me as well. The kind of variation in process. What was the first record you shared your voice on? I think it was meant to be, which is, it's quite, I mean, yeah, I still, I still love it. It's like a, not, I was going to call it an odd record, but it was just like, I think I was trying to work out what my kind of, what my voice was. And it was actually, um, it was my friend Howard, who is um, one half of Disclosure, who he came down to the studio and, and I had this instrumental that I'd worked on in LA and, and, uh, and Howard was like, we were listening to it and, um, we started, Howard had started singing on stuff and we started to sort of write, I was writing at the time, I kind of got to a point of songwriting, I was quite confident I was writing songs for people, but I just didn't, wouldn't put my voice down, you know, I wouldn't be the person that would cut the record and, 
And it was Howard who kind of like strong-armed me into singing on that record. He was just like, there's absolutely no reason that you shouldn't put your voice on this record. Like we've just written the song together and I've heard you singing it in the room. So we're going to do that. And I was like, oh no. So yeah, I have, I have Howard from Disclosure to thank for sort of breaking that ice. When you were in there and, and you were cutting the vocal, was that always going to be your song in a sense or were you just going to be a scratch at the time like what were you I mean, thinking like, yeah there was a couple around that era that i was literally just putting them down as scratches so like there's a song called coming up that was around similar period where i literally i sent that to i sent coming up to like 20 people and like i even like got a couple of people back to cut it and then but like i I just no nothing worked perfectly for the record and then like my manager called me and he was like why are we getting someone to cut this record like your your voice is on it and I was like no but I, I just I hate my voice and like but um it was actually kind of it was it was sort of sorry what go on. changes that you now embrace it as opposed to disliking it it's a couple of things it's um I watched I watched Pharrell speak about um, singing on fronting and how like fronting was like was him trying to write a record for Prince and how like you know he was kind of just like putting his vocal down as a scratch and it was only once Prince was like no I don't want it that he put it out and for me like to hear that fronting is like a record that is like you know top 10 records of all time for me like I, I love fronting it's like a huge part of my like life and to hear that it's a record where yeah, like Pharrell's not even originally intended it for himself to sing. Like I would never have felt that growing up, you know, it's like, it's such an incredible record and like, and his voice pulls it off so well, but it was kind of hearing Pharrell be like, ah, oh, no, I'm, you know, I'm not thinking of himself as like an amazing singer and stuff. And, and then it's just, it was kind of practice and baptism of fire. So once I kind of put my, my voice on some songs, I then had to like perform them live. And I was like, oh like damn I've actually like I've got to do this now so then all of a sudden I had to get better because I was like oh god I can't like sing this 20 times I have to like nail this so it, I mean singing is like a muscle the more you sing yeah. you, the more the better you get and I just kind of started singing more and more but you really could get good at it you just gotta work yeah I mean like I'll never be like brilliant you know like I think that being a technically gifted singer is a different thing to kind of like delivering a sentiment and even if you listen to fronting now like I would agree that like Pharrell, he's not giving like a, a vocal performance of a lifetime, you know, he's, it, it, but it, the vibe and the energy yeah. he captures is incredible, you know, and like, that's all, that's all singing is to me. I, I don't think I'll ever be a technically great singer in terms of like runs and being able to sort of do vocal acrobats. But if I can deliver the sentiment of a song, then, then I'm like, great. Like I'll use the tools that I have to do it. So when you're going in to write a song now, do you go in thinking, okay, I'm going to sing on this? Or do you go in thinking, I'm just going to write this and we'll see who sounds best? At the moment, I've kind of, as I've sort of grown more into the singing, um, I really want to push myself. I've started another record already just because of sort of COVID world, lack of traveling. Like I'm, I have a luxury of time right now. So it's like, as soon as the record was done, it's like, great, I'm into another one sort of thing. And um, I'm really enjoying just pushing myself to sort of really turn the lens internally and, and just like try and push singing to sort of the, the most extent I can. But I'll usually know pretty quickly whether something is for my voice or not. Like for instance, I, I wrote some top lines to um, feed the fire that lucky day ended up being on. And 
I just couldn't find the pocket. Like my vocal just didn't give the right like source for that that instrumental. And there was such a you know that song has such a kind of like Jamiroquai like um, dance for it. It, it. Just like I tried to sing like J.K. so many times, and when I was <laughs> writing this, like, and I just couldn't get it. And I was like, this this just isn't for me. You know, this this there's someone better for this record, and and Lucky was that person. But you're okay with sharing those on your album because it helps tell the story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I think like you know one of the fun things about um, my social media and stuff is that like there's a lot of producers who just like will ask questions and ask about the process and stuff. And there's no sort of um, there's no part of the process that I'm like I feel like hiding at all or like, I'm ashamed of. It's like I, I think like it's such a music, such an imperfect process. There's never you know there's never a kind of perfect way to go in a room and make a song. It's literally just kind of like, you know, piecing things together and just like throwing paint at the wall and just like seeing what happens a little bit. Is the sound that you've given us in times a fleeting sound or is it something that you plan on building and like turning into more as you, you know, go on chapter by chapter? I think it's all about development and evolution. I think that, you know, when you, when you digest a genre and study a genre like music, I think that, uh, sorry, Disco, not music. <laughs> that would be a big genre. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, when you when you digest a, a genre like disco, disco is such a, a huge, incredible, sort of just powerful genre. And I think like it would not it'd be impossible for me to go in the studio now and to like and to lose that influence. You know, I think that um that will kind of always be a part of the process moving forward. But it's kind of like it's bringing new influences in and combining them with that current influence and seeing what that sounds like and being like, okay, if I like, you know, take a part of what I did on times and, or like combine it with something that I'm inspired by at the moment, what does that sound like? And I'm kind of in that process right now of, about, you know, of testing the water and seeing what works. And a lot of things don't work, but I'm trying to find the things that do, I guess. How important was it for you to get like the stamp of approval from, I mean, you want to, this is you're inspired by disco there is i mean i want the genre to come back i hear it in a new present way but you have the stamp of approval from mr rogers and then you have the stamp of approval from robin which is a big deal and that's like i feel like robin had one of the last disco dance records like with dancing on my own do you get what i'm saying like that was like the last one that like our generation genuinely if you heard it Right now, you can sing every word of it. Maybe I'm wrong. Dancing on my own. No, I, I definitely. Uh, yeah, like that sense. I mean, like disco. Sort of. It's so funny how the genre has developed and it, how its influence is kind of like present across music because, like, because dance on my own has this kind of very like sixteenths um, kind of synths and it's quite like um, it reminds me of like a running back record, like something Gerdy Answer would play or something. It's very like chunky and synthy, but. You're right. It has this like real disco heartbreak energy to it at the same time. And um, but yeah, it's, I mean, to to have the the approval of the, those people. I mean, it's but it, I, sometimes when I'm talking about the record, I, I sort of still I feel like I'm lying when I say that they're on the record because I'm just like I, I cannot believe that they've that I'm now lucky enough to call them friends and collaborators because I'm I'm you know they've been hugely formative in 
in everything I do, you know? What is disco? Because now as I sit here and I think about it, like, what is it? Like, it's a song that you can dance to, but also the lyrics are striking and emotional and tell a story, right? Like, yeah. I will survive. If you go back all the I, I, there's so many. Well, I think, I think that disco, strictly disco music, kind of, for me, refers to this sort of, this um, sound of music that was huge in sort of, 70s New York, um, sort of, uh, so with the birth of like uh, the Loft, Paradise Garage, and these clubs, and it was m- music. It's very celebratory in nature, but ah, uh, that's not true actually necessarily. A lot of them can be sad disco songs as well. But instrumentation-wise, it was kind of this development from like soul music and Motown with the introduction of like dance floors. So, but I think that everything that's, I think disco. There's a lot of things that are disco influenced that aren't necessarily strictly disco now. Like even I'd say with my record, there's there's songs that feel a lot more disco influenced, and then there's some that are kind of less so. But I think that none of them would be like strictly disco in the sense of like the traditional '70s New York disco. But it's it's yeah, it's 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 hard to know when that sort of starts and ends sometimes. Well, and by the way, like you. It- it's not even a, it's about like what does that genre sound like today because you know that was a yeah. different life that everybody was living back then yeah know? yeah yeah no absolutely it's um i mean it's it's such a it's such a good question because you know with the return of of disco sounds in popular music you know you have like future nostalgia you have kylie's album which is literally called disco so yeah it's a, and then you have you know it's been so present across pop music in the last like year or two. And it's, um, it's so, yeah, I guess if I were to try and define it now, it's kind of, it's a four, four based kind of, um, funk and soul inspired style of dance music that kind of with soulful vocals, I guess, but it's, it's such a, as, as genres kind of develop and, and mutate and, evolve it gets like harder and harder to kind of really define exactly what those things are i think which by the way makes music really cool because i i I like people creating without genres or predisposed ideas or sounds in their head yeah for sure when you're working with someone like Nile Rodgers or Robin, would you challenge them in the studio and say, eh, not exactly what i was looking for or you kind of just let them do their thing and say yep sounds good to me i always um i have a rule in the studio that is you can't close down an idea if you don't have a better one. So like, so lyric wise, you know, you can't be like, ah, that's not it. If you can't then like move the, the idea forward, you know? So it's really, I, I definitely, um, I'd never, I wouldn't close someone down. I wouldn't be like, ah, that's not it. But I'd be like, maybe let's try doing this instead, you know? And that way you're keeping the energy positive and you're moving the song forward instead of kind of just closing down an idea. Cause the quickest way to kill a song is just to, to put fear into someone's head and be like, no, that's not it. And then like, and then it's a sort of spiraling loop of just negativity, you know? And I think um, a lot of songwriting is just keeping that positive energy sort of in the air. In any creative world, I think that's really important, right? The idea of like, don't shut an idea down until you have something better to pitch. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's uh, sounds healthy to me. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I think it's a good rule to have. Well, I was just asking how you pick collaborators because, uh, like, you hear songs like "The Middle" and it has thirty different versions with thirty different artists. 
Do you have an artist in your head who you want on the song, or will you send it to a bunch of people to see what they come back with? I very rarely send something around like to a lot of people and kind of. I don't think I've ever gone like. I've only ever had like something fail once and then someone else do it. Like I've, I've never had something go through thirty versions like that, and that's usually because um, I'll usually have a pretty clear idea of of who's going to work on the record, and and most of the time it. it does end up working and kind of and with enough kind of work in the studio and trying different things you can kind of get it to work and um i just think like sometimes i just think there's there's so many songs to be made and so many new ideas that can come out that like i i won't sort of i won't get hung up on an idea if it's not working you know i'll have an idea and and i'll get in the studio with someone who i'm a big fan of and or there's a friend of mine and we'll try it and then if it doesn't work then sometimes that idea dies and maybe that's not maybe maybe i'm missing out on some like potential great songs by doing that but i'm just kind of i just tried to follow some level of kind of gut instinct and and just like intuition and just uh and to try and yeah just sort of think about it in my head and before instead of just trying to like you know try like 40 versions and see what happens you're only 26 times is your debut album there's a link in the description below what is I mean times? What does that mean? Is it is 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 this album so, representative of these times? What? So times is it's really a study of time as a, a finite concept. So really, with twenty twenty and the pandemic, basically, I I had started this album as a sort of ode to dance floors and to these moments that I'd been lucky enough to experience in club culture and festivals and. It was basically kind of, it started as a reflection on the fact that the most significant moments in my entire life were all kind of attached to sharing these musical experiences with friends and people I love and in these environments. And then, and then half, as I sort of was halfway through writing this album, this, you know, the pandemic happens and what it did, it highlighted this kind of emphasis on the fact that all these things that we presumed were were going to be there tomorrow and these opportunities to to celebrate and to be together um were not guaranteed and it kind of it just made me think that more about the fact that nothing is guaranteed you know there's there's absolutely no guarantee that that tomorrow is promised in in any way shape or form so um so times is just like a reminder of the fact that time is finite and that given the opportunity to celebrate those moments, if we ever get them again, just to make the most of them. And, and that can be, you know, anything from moments on a dance floor and festivals, or it's just the smaller things as well. By the way, we will get those moments back, hopefully. Absolutely. I, I, I'm, yeah. Fingers crossed. But I feel vaccine, like, dude. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. Where yeah, do I need dude. to put it? Yeah, dude, inject them, inject like six of them into my arms and let's go. <laughs> you are connected to Coachella, right? I was reading like you've, did you perform there twice? Yeah, I, 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 my first American show ever was at Coachella. and then That's I, a big one. Yeah, um, funny story actually. Uh, so basically, I, so one of the first songs that I ever finished, like original songs, was a song called Warm and it has... Sophie Cook, who I was speaking about earlier, front. Um, so it's one of those songs that we'd written. But I, before, I was just starting out. I never really released much music or original music. And Sophie had signed a record deal and was doing her own thing as a singer-songwriter. But we wrote the song Warm. So basically, I couldn't use her vocal um, 
at the time because she was kind of she was signed and she was doing her thing as a singer songwriter and we had this sort of like smoky r&b jam called warm anyway so i picked i pitched down her vocal and then it was the first thing that i put out on pmr records and it was very like sort of understated and we didn't do a video or anything it was just kind of like oh here's the record and and then scott venner who um is a music supervisor for hbo and he also does a radio show with um with pharrell called uh other tone this guy finds it in like the sort of pits of the internet when it's got like i don't know like <laughs> three thousand plays though and he hits me on twitter and he's like hey i like your song i'm gonna put it in my show ballers and i i at this point i don't really know what hbo is this is kind of before this is before netflix this is before like hulu who's I'm the just, rock yeah i'm just yeah i'm just in the uk and i'm just like cool bro thank you i got no idea what that means but like <laughs> and so anyway but once a week he would message me in the run-up and he'd be like are you ready like your life's about to change and i was like Shh, come on like i was like okay sure thing like you know music's on tv all the time i was just like yeah sure whatever but basically he had placed the whole song into the end credits of like this season finale or something and it was this huge show with the rock in like you say like Dwayne johnson so he tells me on the night he's like okay you gotta um gotta stay awake for this like and i was like what it's gonna be 3 a.m in the uk like what well, i'm going to bed and he was like no stay awake so i'm sat there and you know i've you know i've got like no followers no like anything so i um so when i i, I like staying awake so i've got my notifications on and as soon as it goes out and the song plays into final credits my phone just blows up and it's like <laughs> like just vibrating on the table and basically overnight the song just like was then placed in front of like a lot of people and um and that's how i ended up on the coachella lineup so sort of with one song out and really no idea how i'm how i'm how i was gonna perform live or like you know i mean I, I dj'd so i kind of i had that so i ended up djing instead of like a live performance but i was just like i had no idea what i was doing and i just got there and i was like wow this is amazing but um, and then there was a bunch of people at the set who were really excited to hear the song. So you just pitched down Sophie's vocal to change it, but it was still her speaking the words. Yeah, I literally just like pitched it down like five semitones. Like if you pitch the song back up, you'll like five semitones, you'll get what we basically wrote in the studio. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. How long <laughs> after the show airs is your Coachella performance? It's like maybe six months later because there was like a, you know, show goes out like all of a sudden i have a u.s agent and all of a sudden like all these things happen quite quickly and i'm like ah what like you know and um and then yeah maybe like six months later and kind of i then had released some more songs and i remember going and playing the dj set and i remember it was in the yuma tent the one with like the disco shark and the like I remember thinking that like no one could possibly be there to hear me play my own music. So I was just playing other people's music and there's this kind of crowd of people. And then after about 20 minutes, I was like, oh, I should really, you know, I should really play some of my own music just in case. And I remember, I remember mixing in my own songs and then the whole crowd was like, ah, like crazy. And I was like, I was like, oh my God, what? Like they're actually here to hear the, the songs I made. No, they were like, here to, to, to watch a party DJ. Uh, you know, DJ yeah. their middle school dance. Yeah, I was, I don't know, I was just like so new to it that I was just like, there's no way these people are here to like, I thought they were just like ravers who were in the Yuma tent just to like, you know, get out the sun or something. And I was like, but yeah, I was just, I was, it blew my mind. So then all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I had to 
play more of my music and then yeah, for so. me. Yeah, it's crazy. Your James Corden performance. Am I crazy? But did you have blonde hair or like yeah? What like yeah. did you just dye your hair like I, 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 often? So part of my like uh, I guess like pandemic existential crisis has just been like changing my mind from brunette to blonde and then just like my hair grows pretty quickly and I, I had it bleached like a couple of weeks back and then like I kind of just cut it all off and then now I'm back to brunette again but I can't make my mind up if I'm honest and I think it's probably quite confusing for people like when the album went out there was some billboards and there's like press shots of me with bleached blonde hair and I was stood by them and I was like oh my god and I think people must have just thought I was like a crazy person just like celebrating by the billboard because <laughs> there's a blonde guy on like the, the billboard and then there's just me like dancing around by <laughs> Well, I'm watching James Corden and you have brown hair in the interview and then you perform and you have blonde hair and I'm like, is it lighting? Is he wearing a wig? Is he like, what? what is this witchcraft? What is going yeah. on? I, but we, it's um, obviously yeah. shot at different different days. Yeah, you know, obviously because of um, COVID world as such, um, unfortunately we couldn't go and do the yeah. performance. So we filmed it a couple of weeks back when we were doing some other live stuff and and um, it, the process of kind of then like the show being like, yeah, we're going to do this and stuff. And in that time I turned brunette. So, um, But I mean, the strange thing about it was like, you know, it was my like late night TV debut, my TV debut anyway. That's my first TV I've ever done. And um wow. And I'm I'm currently with my family. I'm like locked down back home, and I'm in my like parents' attic just because like basically in, in my flat in London. I'm just like stuck in a box there. So I like I did this late night TV show interview and like in the performance, and then I, like I didn't even have socks on. I was just on Zoom. <laughs> like I went downstairs afterwards. My mum had been like listening through the door and was like, "Oh, that's amazing!" And it was like what should have been this really like huge glamorous moment in my career was just like I was basically in my pajamas just like and I went to bed afterwards does a part of that suck or have you accepted like this is the way the universe is meant this to be like this is the debut hour before I was a bit like oh man like this sucks because like you know, I should be in like a hair and makeup, and you should yeah, like I'm in a suit right now or something. But then, but then something that was kind of amazing about it was um, James Corden is from where I am right now, and he's like the only he's like the only famous person from where I am right now. And like, wow. so what was kind of sweet about the interview is he was the first thing he asked before we went on there. He was like, "Hey Sam, like where are you right now?" And I was like, "Um, I'm in High Wycombe," and he was just like, "What?" Like. It, like, blew his mind. So it was actually, like, it was a really cool experience, and we kind of, like, had something in common over that. So I kind of, I came off it, and I was, like, buzzing. And then all the, like, there's been a lot of love today, and, like, it's obviously something that people care about. So it's, um, it's felt really cool. Deal. It, it, it's an amazing deal, and your music deserves it. And uh, Thank you. Yeah. Times is the album, by the way. There's a link in the description below. You should listen to it. Please. Now that the album's out, do you do you think it's moving forward? Are you going to release albums or kind of go back to the trilogy type thing you did a couple of years ago, or mm. I guess it was a year or two ago? I think it all depends on the idea. So, because um, I've I've never wanted to make an album just for the sake of making an album, and that's kind of why I like took quite a while to make a full length album. A lot of people are like, you know, why did you do so many EPs before and stuff, and. I would have done an album earlier, but Dust, Dark and Dawn as a concept 
just lent itself to being split into three. And it was so clear that that was the format that it should kind of be experienced in. It just kind of made less sense to, to have it as a full length. But as soon as I sort of had the concept and the inspiration of times, then it was like, well, there's enough here that I want to express and sort of say and to that I can't really do this in, in four tracks and I want, I want to do a full length. So I think going forward, it, I think it all depends what kind of forms concept wise. And I've really, I've just started writing and it's, it's been kind of, it's been surprisingly good at how like how immediate kind of new things have come together. Cause there was part of me that was like, you know, I haven't lived much normal life since the last album, you know, I was like, what, what am I going to like write about and stuff? But somehow deep in my brain, there was a, uh, you know, some stuff that obviously needed to be unpacked. So, um, We'll wait and see what that kind of forms into in a more kind of like wider concept sense. Isn't that like a weird blessing, by the way? Like, yes, like all these big accomplishments that you're achieving, they they lack all the usual fanfare. But the truth is like in lacking that fanfare, you stay grounded, you stay normal and being normal. You have stuff to write about. Like, like what? Like nobody wants to hear a song about you getting dressed up to go do <laughs> Corden and, you know, flying first class and being like doing all these fancy things like that ain't my life, yo. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I had never really thought about that, but I guess, like, you know, my life is so normal right now, and all these kind of very not normal things keep happening. But I experience them through my phone, and they kind of I, I look at them, and I'm like, and I'm like, cool, amazing, like, ah, oh, there's there's my face, and there's James Corden's, and like, wow, that's amazing. And then I go downstairs and have dinner with my family, and it's just like, <laughs> and, then, and then I like go on a dog walk, so um. Yeah, it's 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 very strange because I, I have no concept of how this is going outside of figures and just like and just stats on social media and like obviously I see the comments and stuff, but like until I feel it in a real life sense, it, it's like well, life just continues and and that means like you know when life is the same, the only thing that I know and love is making music. So that's the first thing I've just gone back to. You know, it's really interesting. Like you know, we don't really live. We we don't. Uh, the, the the lens that we used to see things and experience things used to just be our eyes. But now the truth is like, it's our eyes, then a screen. I low-key wish for a world eventually where like the social, like everyone just wakes up one day and we're all like, what are we doing? Like, and not like the internet's incredible and it, and it connects people and, and it does like amazing things. And like, you know, my career wouldn't exist without it. But just certain things like the amount of time I, I waste like scrolling Instagram. I just hope I'm, I hope that there's a, a day in the near future where we wake up and we're, we're just like, what are we doing? Like, why, why are we like spending so much time on these like little supercomputers? Why don't we just go and like experience actual life for a change? And maybe this could be it. Not having actual normal life for a year. Like the heart wants what it doesn't have always. Mm-hmm. And I think everything that we used to take for granted and everything we used to hate doing that involved another person or numerous people, we used to not want to do. But now we're going to do it all and we're going to love doing it because, like, the alternative is sitting alone in a 600-square-foot apartment. Yeah, absolutely. You're so right. I just think that, like, by the time we're done with this, by the time the world's safe again, we can go and do the things, I think we've we will have all spent enough time with our phones. And I really feel like 
there's going to be this moment of like, let's go and do the life thing now. And like, let's go and like really like experience that and to, and to, you know, and to appreciate it for, for what it is. Dude, I think people are going to party. I think people are going to do any opportunity to leave the house and not risk sickness and or death. Uh, we're going to chomp at the bit. Well, it's so true yeah. with experiences because if you think back to what you did yesterday, you can remember. But if you think back to what you saw on social media yesterday, you probably can't remember a single thing you saw. Amen. Yeah, amen. That is that's so true. Like you know, how many of these things that have even the things that have made you laugh and have made you like Come smile, on. feel something like I, I, I can name you one right now, like off the top of my head that is like lasted in my life and has left a significant but if you ask me like you know my favorite concert or my favorite you know like movie or you know all these things that you go and experience whatever it is like you, you could reel those off immediately i could tell you my favorite songs my the best festivals i ever went to my favorite holidays but like ask me my like all-time favorite tiktoks and <laughs> my mind goes blank you know but you consume it yeah, yeah, yeah. Still scroll. Yeah. That's the thing. It's addictive. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm worse than anyone. You know, like my screen time's horrendous at the moment. So I, I'm, you know, I think like, I, but we can forgive ourselves. You know, like in terms of like, there's a lot of downtime right now, and there's a lot of time spent alone, and there's a lot of like, you know, isolation as such. So, you know, of course we kind of look for comfort in things that, uh, you know that maybe we wouldn't usually or there's or just consuming that media. But yeah, I think um, I'm hoping that from even from a personal level, you know, like everyone can do what they want. But on a personal level, I hope that I like when I get back to life, I'm just like, oh, I'm going to leave the phone at home tonight or just like, you know, or not, you know, not just automatically scroll it every time I like, I like put my hand in my pocket. Or, you know, so. I feel anxious. You get freaking yeah. phantom vibrations. Um, yeah, exactly. How does the song start for you? Because you were you were mentioning that you you, you write, but do you produce first? Do you start with lyrics? What is it? Um, so I I'm definitely still I always kind of it has to start with like sonics and feelings. So because I kind of I learned how to write songs almost. I guess that was like the the less natural thing to me was then the like what do I want to say and how do I want to say it and like that that took more time and that took more work. So the thing that has always just come natural to me and has always been like an extension of myself has just been like sounds and, and thing. And I've even had like discussions with, um, with like friends of mine who are musicians before. And I have friends who are like real lyricists in the sense of like their, their favorite artists are people that write the most amazing lyrics and we would compare our like favorite artists and I'd say, oh, like, I love like, you know, D'Angelo and Bon Iver. And it's like, not to say they don't have amazing lyrics, but the things that I was obsessed with was how it made me feel. You know, there was, there were Bon Iver songs where I was like, I don't know what you're saying or what it means, but God, do I believe you? Like, you know, it feels like, I feel like I know what you're saying without even knowing the lyrics or whatever. So I've always kind of been led by Sonics and how something, what a sound implies emotionally so yeah i always start with a lot of the time it's chords it's really that's like the bed for everything and then i kind of um or it can be drums sometimes but i'll start with chords and it, whether that's on a piano or, or it's something more kind of um obscure like a synth or something or a sound but once i have something that just like triggers some kind of excitement in me then i'll often i'll get a mic out i'll put a bunch of reverb on it and compression and i'll just start to like 
sing nonsense basically it's uh, it's like i heard um kevin parker describe it as yogurt singing where you're just kind of saying things and like and sometimes when you go into doing the nonsense singing but you've already written down a few thoughts that you have then it's amazing what kind of comes out of your brain subconsciously and like you kind of i'll do a couple of takes you listen back to them and you're just like you're you hear little phrases and you're like, oh my god, yeah, I'm saying that. And then by the time you finish the song, you can almost link them back to the thing that you're talking about. But it, it, you kind of like your subconscious like exposes itself just through these like just singing nonsense almost. What what songs off this album were nonsense nonsense singing records? Uh, Chemicals is a definitely a nonsense singing record. So. um but in in turn, not it did eventually get lyriced very carefully. But at, at first, it was um, it was me and Julian uh, who I, I wrote it with Julian Benetta. I wrote a couple with. He's a close friend of mine, and we wrote together a lot on this album. But we um, we've been working on the instrumental. Like we were just kind of vibing, and it was like four a.m. And he's he's married, and he has a kid, and like quite recently, and um, it's like four a.m. and we're dancing around, and his wife's like calling him like where I like <laughs> come to bed and and I was like no no I want to write this song right now and he was like okay stop like he was like put down a bunch of melodies and he was like and then when you go to bed write me a story and I was like what do you mean he was like just write me a story tell me like a story of a night out that happened to you or like a like you know a relationship or something and I just wrote about wrote this story about this like this one girl and this white one night out and this sort of like just crazy sort of experience and I wrote it like an essay and then the next day we got in and we literally just took parts of the like the story and we just kind of like put them into the song where the melodies were we just sort of like pieced together this song and it was just kind of like little exemption and then you you know we'd have to like edit little bits and stuff but it was basically just um talking about this this one night and it just kind of like filled in with the melodies we had chemicals by the way, listen to the album Times. Link in the bio. That's crazy. Did you say Julian Benetta? Yeah. Is that the guy that did a lot of One Direction stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Julian. Well, the crazy thing about Julian is he. I knew I knew the name. <laughs> yeah. So Julian you. is most. He's is most crazy about Julian is he's most known for the One Direction stuff. But if you if you look through his like his catalog, he's probably he's like one of the most diverse guys of like. Like when you when you spend a night in the studio with him and like he plays you things that you don't even realize he was a part of or worked on, you're just like, who are you? <laughs> you know, like I I met Julian, I think I first met him at the studio that he owns, but he just worked on this like totally enormous extinct dinosaurs song, and like it was a song I was like obsessed with called "Don't You Forget About Me," um, and. You know, my before before I'd like knew Julian well, that was the first thing I knew him about was One Direction, and I was like, oh, that must be his thing, you know, like. And then once I, I found out he did that, I was like, what? Like, so yeah, he's he's incredible, and, and the One Direction stuff he did is is incredible. But his 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 diversity as like a writer is is insane. <laughs> it's pretty wild. It is cool to see those guys because obviously, like Ryan Tedder, he's in One Republic. But you look at his credits, you're like, I did not know Ryan Tedder did all of this. And you look at like yeah. Diplo or Benny Blanco, you don't realize how many songs these few guys have done. Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, I think that there's definitely um, 
there's a huge part of me that you know as someone who makes music and but also makes music for other people like you know i i want i want to have an impact across popular music and popular culture on a wider scale as possible you know by the time i'm done here and the a lot of those guys have managed to do that with like a real great level of success and diversity and so yeah there's definitely a lot of those guys that are like are inspirational but by the way like the two halves of the one direction like creative machine now that i think about it is julian on one side and then you have like Max Martin and Savan and Ilya on the other who are, I mean, th- they are the Swedish economy, I believe. Like they are yeah. like, like, yeah. you know, like it's, I mean, I've, I've, I've never met them, but I've, I, you hear like almost legends about them, you know, like, yeah. like I heard that they like, they'll have like a theme each week just for fun. Like on like a Friday, they'll be like, here's the like theme, go and make a song in this theme or something. And like, and moves like Jagger was like one of these songs, but they're almost doing it like not for a joke, but almost like semi just like for fun. And then like one of them came in with like moves like Jagger and everyone was like, I think this might be a huge worldwide hit. <laughs> like, At the point where like, I think about it, like even Julian, like these people have been doing it for so long. The concept of like fun and keeping it fresh has to be top of mind to make them want to do it. Because on the flip side, you know, I'm pretty sure Max Martin doesn't need to make another song ever again for as long as he lives and i think his kids 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 will be more than okay yeah do you know what i'm saying like that you know what yeah and you're i'm young you're young like the the thought of doing this for the next 25 30 years is you know that's the thing i think that people think with me a lot of people a lot of friends of mine that like aren't in music will be like you know oh don't you want to just write like massive like pop songs or like they like my friends will ask me in the pub they'll be like oh don't you want to just like sell out and make the worst music and make loads of money and i'm like that i don't think a that wouldn't work like people don't understand that like if you tried to make terrible music other people wouldn't resonate with it and there has to be a level of like genuine intent no matter what genre you're in or whatever taste level your music is like you know um Amen. and then on b on, on the second level sorry um is that um, you know, making music is inherently like a selfish thing. Like I'm, I'm doing this because like, I really get a kick out of it. And it's like, you know, and I believe that's the same for like Max Martin or someone, you know, where it's like, he's got enough money to like not do this ever again, but he probably really likes the like rush he gets when they've made something awesome and they're all on their feet in the studio. Like, wow, wow, we've made something crazy. It's like, cause that's like, that's the biggest high like I've experienced in anywhere is this kind of like this rush you get when you created something out of nothing and you're like, wow, my God, this is amazing. And and that's, that's kind of why I keep doing it is like, and that's the thing that kind of keeps you coming back. I think. Well said SG Lewis, an honor spending time with you today. Times is the album. It is worth your ear beyond. I want to know what you think. Leave your honest feedback in the comment section below. Thank you so much. I'm I'm such a fan of the show as well. I've seen like a lot of the interviews you guys done and stuff. So good to be on here. Yeah, thank you for uh, watching and giving us time today and uh, the other times that you watched. I really appreciate it. And um, absolutely, um, you're really incredibly talented. So I'm so excited to keep hearing what you produce. And please come back. Thank you so much. Honestly, wicked to chat to you guys. I really enjoyed the chat. And um, thanks very much, guys. Thank Thank you, man. Peace and love. Peace, peace.
beautiful human. Thanks for listening to our conversation with S.G. Lewis. We appreciate you. Please let us know who we should have on our show next at Zach Sang Show on any form of social media. Be safe, hug your family, and do not go to jail. Peace and love. I'll talk to you soon.